Alrighty, hello and welcome back to Mainly Mayhem, a podcast all about murders and mayhem in Maine and the greater New England area. Um, Julie and I have prepared two new stories for you all today. And um, Julie, I'm going to give you the floor for the first one. What'd you bring today? Thanks, Dante. Today, I'm going to take us over to Wood Island in... Well, it's off the coast of Biddeford. I don't know if it's technically in Saco or Biddeford. I believe it is Biddeford. I I think so, too. So we're going to make that the official geographical location. Okay. So Wood Island is right off the coast of Biddeford. You can see it pretty clearly. It's not super far. Um. I like to go to East Point Sanctuary in Biddeford, and if you walk down the little trail, you can get to the beach, and there's uh, a little a little path, and, you know, it'll be right there, and it's got a lighthouse on it. It's very cute, but it's got a spooky history, so... We're going to time travel back to June 1st of 1896. Okay. And at this time, there were only, well, there's a few buildings on the island. I don't know how big it is. I mean, it really can't be more than like a mile long, I'm sure. I think it's probably smaller than that. I feel like it's probably like somewhere around like a a half a mile. Yeah, it's pretty tiny. Wide, yeah. So on the southern end of the island, there uh, were a couple, there was a family that lived there with a couple of different buildings. Um, there's a house and then there was like basically a barn and, uh, the man of the family, his name is Frederick Milliken. He was about 35 at this time and he was a game warden and a police officer Hmm. and he lived there with his wife and I think they had like three children. I got this information from an article from, it was like whatever the Biddeford newspaper was back in. 1896 okay that i found on the website for wood island so oh by the way have you ever read a news article from 18 whatever um i can't say that i have recently uh but why what's the it's pretty wild the way they write it's somewhere in between journalism and like fiction non-fiction literature writing okay they're they're they break they quote things like the journalist was there actually like right there's dialogue in there there shouldn't be dialogue no in a news story yeah (laughs) but what do i know i only went to school for journalism for four years anyway um yeah it was pretty it's pretty funny and i think it's it's just very interesting how news articles were written back then. Interesting. It makes you wonder how much of it is like fabricated just to sell a good story and how much of it actually happened. Right. I mean, this is journalism we're talking about. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but um, anyway, <laughs> so, so Fred's living on this Island on the other end of the Island is the lighthouse and there's a very nice um, lighthouse keeper's quarters there. And the lighthouse keeper at the time, I believe his name, was it Thomas Orcutt? 
Yeah, um, that, that sounds was, right. That was who it was. Oh, okay, thank you, Julian. It's he's Julian's. Um, what do you call it? Like hero. Why? I don't know. You just like him a lot, don't you? Thomas Orkut. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I. I yeah, love him. Love okay. the guy right to death. <laughs> yeah, That's great guy. Yeah. Great. Okay. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. How to make a podcast awkward. Here we go. So Thomas Orkut's living on the other side of the island. I mean, it sounds to me like they're all just kind of minding their own business. Like they don't really have much to do with each other. Yeah, just fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... So Fred was renting out what was essentially a barn. The article said it was built to be a henery. Okay. Which I'm assuming is just a place to keep chickens. Um, yeah, I would imagine. I honestly don't know if I've heard that term before, but it sounds Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming. You know what? I just Googled it and it says yes. It says a place where domestic fowls such as chickens are reared. Okay. Otherwise known as a poultry farm. Oh, all right, cool. So it sounds like it was a pretty spacious barn, you know. So um, the two men who who were living there, uh, their names were Howard Hobbs and William Moses, and they were fishermen and lobstermen. And they would just cook on the ground floor and sleep in the loft. Uh, there was like a couch up there, and they were, you know, the article said that they weren't concerned with like outward appearances okay so they, i mean yeah as long as you have a cot to sleep on and a, a stove that works yeah they, that was good enough for them right so um let's see so one day william and howard the tenants so they're living on frederick's land and they're supposed to be renting it out but there's stories saying that they had never paid rent the whole time they had stayed there. Okay. Uh, one day they went and they went to Old Orchard. Cute. To have a nice old time. They were doing a little drinking. Was this during Prohibition? I forgot to look that up. Um, honestly, I don't know. Let's Google it. Uh, Prohibition. How to be prepared for a podcast. <laughs> right. So while Dante's looking that up, one thing I did notice about the article was like they listed one of the causes for what's about to go down as being drunk like okay. alcohol was a big factor so i just it makes it sound like it was propaganda but that's just my thought hmm. um actually i just googled it and this is something that i did not know but maine was the first state to pass prohibition laws in the united states <sighs> um and it looks like maine passed the first laws in the country um prohibition in 1846 and it was repealed in 1858. What year does this story take place again? So this was 1896. Okay, so like shortly thereafter. Really? So they repealed it? In 1858. And then didn't the whole country have prohibition in like the 20s or? Oh my god, I don't know. How? Why did I not know anything about prohibition? Let's talk about it. Because we'd all like to forget that it happened. Um, yeah, it looks like the last state in the country to repeal prohibition laws um, repealed them in 1933. Okay, wild. Yeah, so um, so they went, so I guess it was legal then. So they went and they got drunk. 
in Old Orchard, you know, party time. Old Orchard Beach, what's up? Yeah, um, especially, to, I, feel, I don't know if it was the same in like the 1800s, but especially today, there is no like classy establishment like catering to the upper class left in Old Orchard. Like people go to Old Orchard Beach to almost die. From being so drunk, you know what I mean? Like, that is what older... That is the purpose that that town serves to main locals in today's age. It has a vibe, and it's not a vibe of we're gonna come here and be classy. Yeah, absolutely not. I love Old Orchard Beach. Oh, same. No shame. Like, she... She's trashy, but she knows she's trashy. She has her her purpose, and, you know, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so they, they get kind of told off by a police officer. This police officer catches them being a little disorderly, getting a little sloppy. And the police officer's like, Hey, you guys, I'm going to arrest you if you don't keep quiet and like, go get out of here. So they plead with the police officer not to arrest them and they go on their way. Um, they end up walking down some train tracks, and where did they end up? I lost my place. I'm sorry. They oh, they ended up at like Camp Ellis, and I guess they have their boat there. Okay, so people um, listening to this who may not be familiar with like Southern Maine geography, Camp Ellis is a small neighborhood in Saco, right across the Saco River from Biddeford Pool, which is where Wood Island. Is, gotcha. which is where this okay that place. makes sense yeah i didn't know exactly where that was so yeah. like, thank you dante of course uh so the whole time it says in the article and i don't really know how anyone would know this unless like some witnesses came forward but the article said that they were like drinking the whole time and they got in their boat and they rode back to wood island again still drinking like the whole time and this is the next day at 4 30 p.m is when they finally make it back Okay. To Wood Island. Like still shwasted. Yeah. Off the juice. They've just been at it for a full probably almost 24 hours. Okay. Like just living it up. So when they arrive back at the landing in the island, Frederick and his stepson, who was not named in the article, were outside working. And um, Frederick actually asked Howard if he could talk to him. Presumably to ask him for some rent money. Okay. Spent um, all his money on booze, so. He just, not a good time. Not a good time, Fred. <laughs> Honestly, like, read the room, buddy. Right. <laughs> so, um, and Howard, according to the article, just kind of did this thing where he was like, yeah, sure, and just walked by him. <laughs> Like, the audacity. That's the best way, I feel like, to de-escalate. <laughs> right. like, yeah, okay, sure, bye. <laughs> so Howard and William go back to their living quarters, and uh, Fred, or not Fred, I'm sorry, Howard goes and he gets his shotgun and apparently says to William, hey, let's go talk to Fred now. <laughs> and Will is like, you know, I don't think you need this gun. And Fred's like, sorry, I keep getting Fred and Howard confused. Howard's the tenant. Fred's the guy who lives there, just trying to mind his own business. Mm-hmm. Maybe make some fucking rental income, but this guy's giving him a hard time. So, right, right. so Howard is like, oh, no, no, I'll take the gun. Like, maybe I'll get a good shot at a bird. Like, sure, buddy. That's why you're drunkenly wielding 
a oh, shotgun. An actual weapon, yeah. So he, they go over, and um, as they're coming over to Fred's house, Fred is coming out, and they meet each other. What it said was his back garden gate. So, um, you know, Fred sees the gun and he goes, hey, is that thing loaded? And Howard's like, he laughs. He's like, no, it's not loaded. (laughs) Fred's like, all right, well, like, give me the gun and starts to motion to go grab the gun. And at this point, Howard just straight up shoots him. Straight up point blank shoots Fred in the abdomen. Okay. So, Will freaks out. Will's like, what? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> like, you you knew what was happening, buddy. You knew. Right, right, right. Um, Fred's wife, who in the article is only referred to as Mrs. Milliken because patriarchy. Right, because women, why would you need a name in she, the 1800s? Yeah, she's not, straight up she's, property. Yeah, property. She's not her own person Absolutely. in any way. Um, so, she sees the whole thing go down from the doorway and she, you know, runs over and uh, comes to take care of her husband. And she asks William to go row back to Bitterford Pool to try to get to a phone to try to get a doctor. So he goes and he does that. Meanwhile, um, you know, Howard is still pretty drunk. And he, he kind of, what the article says at this point is he kind of sobers, sobers up after shooting a man yeah i mean that seems sensible that like you would kind of come to your senses as you slowly realize that like you just ended another person's life yeah yeah and he starts offering to help mrs milliken and like help um the man that he just yeah slaughtered (laughs) so he's like oh apparently he goes let me let me take his boots off because his boots are probably hurting his feet right you know, in my opinion, not wouldn't be my concern. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the bullet shards in his abdomen are probably hurting him more than like his tight boots were. But yeah. that's just my. I wasn't <laughs> there, so. So, um, but then he just goes into douchebag mode and starts talking to Fred and starts saying like, "It's it's your fault I shot you because you know, you tried to take my gun." We don't know anybody like that in Maine. (laughs) Absolutely no one. I know. It's like these guys belong in the state 100%. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, Mrs. Milliken, she then tried to like talk him down and tried to get the gun from him and was like, you know, let me just take that from you. I'll I'll just take care of it for you. And, you know, you, you don't have to be holding on to that thing anymore. And he says no. So she then says, you know what, go see the lighthouse keeper and tell him what happened and get help. And the lighthouse keeper, this that, this was that Thomas Orca yeah. character. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he does. So he's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. So he runs to the other end of the island to get Thomas Orcutt and he tells him what's going on. And of course, Thomas Orcutt is, you know alarmed and he runs back over to the house apparently it was before howard got back to the house so he's helping out and then by the time howard gets back uh frederick has died okay and at this point he's inconsolable he's very upset 
And when he returns, he tells Mrs. Milliken that he is going to go home and shoot himself. Okay. So I don't really know what happened after that. He does go back and she must have been like, I I couldn't give a fuck at this point because he goes back and he, well, the children say that they heard a gunshot, Mm -hmm. but no one goes to investigate. Okay. Sure. (laughs) They're like, yeah, he, you know, so it's, I'm pretty sure they were like trying to take care of one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So, um, finally Will comes back. The doctor's on his way. And it's not until Will makes it back to the dwelling that he finds Howard lying dead on the couch. Okay, well, at least they, like, put him on the couch. You know what I mean? Well, he put himself on the couch. Right. So. So they didn't, like, leave him on the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. you You know... I feel like, yeah, he died and he was murdered and that's awful. But, like, at least his murderer, presumably, like, I can't just leave him on the floor. It's cold. You know what I mean? We're in Maine. Oh, no, but... Well, I don't know where Frederick was. Okay, yeah. But Howard went back. Okay. And killed himself on his own couch. Oh, I see what's happening. Yes. I was confused. Okay, so he Howard kills himself mm-hmm. on his own couch in his own apartment yeah okay i see i understand you're getting some squeaky old house realness yeah um sure in this audio mix right now yeah see i was confused they all have like very generic like like white men from the 1800s names yeah it was i was having a hard time concentrating yeah i thought we were talking about the wrong yeah no 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 um howard yeah so howard's like Tells Mrs. Milliken, who is now grieving the loss of her husband. Right. I'm so upset. I'm going to go kill myself. Okay. And she's probably like, I don't. Do it. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) She's probably so stressed out and like she does not need Howard's shit right now. And so he he goes and then the kids hear a gunshot. Okay. And then nobody gives a shit to go investigate at that point. Howard. Until, yes, okay. the murderer. Until Will comes home and then Will finds him in okay. their, like, loft area. Dead. <laughs> yeah. So, that's kind of what happened with that. The doctor eventually arrived at, like, 7 p.m. Because he had to take a boat. Yeah. Had to probably row it his damn self. Someone had to take a boat to a phone. Yeah, imagine. The doctor had to probably get on a horse or something to get to a boat. Yeah. I mean, that kind of gives me like old. So if we throw back to last week's episode when we talked about the murders that happened on Smoney Dogs Island Mm -hmm. in um, the Isles of Shoals, that was like people who lived out on the islands. On the Atlantic Ocean, presumably everywhere, but specifically, you know, keeping it in the main New Hampshire area. That was real. Like, that was a, like, you were so, you were hours and hours and hours removed from any help. If something went wrong, 
you would have to send someone back to the mainland to send someone else back to the islands to help you. So, like, this, you know, he was hours away from a doctor or from the police. You know what I mean? Like, the closest police constable was probably... He was the police, and he got shooted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, like, who... I mean, how many police officers do you think were in that area at that time? Well, we know of at least that him... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does Thomas Orchid like, is the lighthouse keeper counting as a police? Probably not. I don't know. Do they have any, like, legal jurisdiction for, like, crimes, though? No idea. Yeah, see, but that's weird. Like, to think about in in today's day and age, like, you, he, if you shoot the, the only police officer, who helps? Especially when you're on an island. Yeah. Separate with no phone. Apparently the murderer helps and then gets upset. And kills himself. When the crime he committed turns out bad yeah okay okay all right so anyway so that's pretty much it um and like i said the article said that the main reason the main motives for the murder were alcohol and presumably that there was no rent that had been paid in a while yeah or ever um, but everybody, all the parties claim that there was no bad blood between the two. And, you know, that was really the only altercation they had had. So it's kind of wild that he, you just got, got a wind of like, I'm going to just murder this guy. Yeah. Super like, see, I kind of struggle with that because that's like seems super heinous to like, do we, I guess we do sort of have a motive in that like, you know, there was rent not being paid, but to, to kind of just be like, oh yeah, I'm drunk. Uh, I have slight beef with someone. Let me just fucking gun them down. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he probably wasn't... I can't imagine that if you're just living in a barn and going to Old Orchard every once in a while to get wasted. I mean, I don't know how often he was going to Old Orchard and getting wasted, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like a great life. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's that. So now I'm depressed. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely some heavy stuff. Like, straight up just gunned a man down. Yeah. Yeah, probably, things probably just weren't going his way. And, you know, and, yeah. So, if I'm correct, both of the gentlemen who died in this situation died on Wood Island. Correct. Spooky. Yeah. I think you can tour Wood Island. I think you can, yeah. I think we should do that. You can, oh, <laughs> you know what? You know what I got really excited about what? today when I was looking into this on the website? They have volunteer opportunities. <laughs> yes. I remember you were also telling me that they have like live stream feeds of the yeah. island. I yeah, like I may or may not have researched this on my work computer that may or may not block, had the live streams blocked. Oh. Um. So I guess we're going to have to watch some live streams today, Jules. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, Wood Island, pretty cool, pretty pretty little spooky lighthouse out here on the coast of Maine. 
Um, I love like spooky nautical aesthetic. Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. I love that shit. I would love to um, listen if there was like an apartment for rent inside of an old haunted lighthouse. I would rent it. I want you to know that about me. I would rent it. No questions asked. Where do I sign? Yeah, that um, sounds... Yeah. Yeah, right? It does sound pretty cool. Imagine being like, oh, yeah, I just have to row back out to the island on the, like, haunted lighthouse that I live in. Give me a sec. I'll, like, meet you guys in Old Orchard in an hour. Like, just give me a minute. <laughs> Let me just kayak back to my house. Um, yes, yeah, your arms that. would be so ripped. I would be jacked. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it would be so tan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would never be inside. I would spend... I mean, let's talk about let's talk about main rents really quick. I would spend probably more than $1,000 to live inside Lighthouse, and I would not spend any of my time inside of it. I would be out in nature on an island in the Atlantic Ocean. Just don't stare at the, the light. Yeah. Don't go to the top and look at the light. Don't do it. I won't. Bad things happen. I promise. Bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> you die instantly. A la The Lighthouse, the movie. Oh, I've never seen it. Also not... Weekend at Bernie's. I also have never seen that. I'm not a big film buff. I feel like Me you were either, definitely like... But listen, I have a theory that The Lighthouse, the movie, mm-hmm. starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, okay. stole its ending from a scene in Weekend at Bernie's. <gasps> Drama. Just watch both those movies and tell me I'm wrong, I dare you. Um, I, I would sit here and tell you that I would watch both of them, but you and I would both know that I would be lying. <laughs> so I'm not even going to go there. Anybody, that's an open invitation yes. to anybody who may be hearing this. Watch these movies that Julie wants us to watch. Because <laughs> I'm not going to do it, so someone has to. Um, all right, is that, is that that? That's that. That's that. All right. So without further ado, let's move on to our second story of the day. And this story is about a murder, murder, which happened in, I did it, sorry, which happened, that was not admission of guilt, by the way, I was not alive when this murder happened. Um, So this happened in 1970. And um, this story is about a girl by the name of Mary Catherine Olinchuk who was a, a seasonal resident of Southern Maine. And um, I'm actually, I took a, a lot of my inspiration from this story from an article on truecrimediva.com. I've been peeking around her website and she just does all sorts of like true crimes, haunted, crazy stuff from Ooh. like all over the country. So if you if you like that sort of genre enough to watch our podcast, then you should also definitely read her website, truecrimediva.com. Um, so yes, uh, so this family was originally from Illinois and Peter Olinchuk, who at the time was 48 years old, was a brigadier general in the United States army. What year was this again? Um, this took place in 1970, 1970. And the couple together had three daughters, Nancy, Jane, and Mary, who is the subject of this story. Gotcha. The Olin Chucks, listen, this is how you know they had money. 
Because the Olenchucks had a seven-room summer resort cottage Ooh. in a gunkwit, Maine. Ooh, nice. A gunkwit, Maine. That thing is worth $2 million right now. Easy. Three. <laughs> um, and they stayed there each summer. Those of you who don't know, a gunkwit is a small... Like a tourist town in York County in Southern Maine. There's no parking in the summer. There's no parking anywhere in the town of Agunquit. I mean, it is a very small town. Like you could probably walk the whole town in half an hour, right? But um, yeah, it is definitely. It is. If you see one main license plate there in the summer, mm. you should buy a lottery ticket. Mm. Um, yeah. because you are that lucky. And so they, so a gunquit, sorry, small tourist town, southern Maine, York County. It's like halfway, I'm going to say, between York, Maine and Biddeford, Maine. It's like kind of near like the York Wells yeah. bunk area. Um, and so on Sunday, the 9th of August of 1970, a sweet little red-haired girl named Mary Olinchuk. Uh, left the beach in a gunkwit on a bicycle that she borrowed from a friend. She was going to go to the corner store, get a pack of gum, a newspaper, whatever. She was last seen at 5 p.m. when she was talking to uh, a man whose identity we still do not know, who was presumably in his 30s outside of a small motel uh, on Israel Head Road, um, which was about... Then say like two to three hundred yards away from the cottage that the Olinchucks were living in at that time. He was driving a faded maroon sedan with a scratched hood. That's all the information we know about the vehicle. We don't know the make, the model. And um, so they had uh, an interaction together, this man in his red sedan and Mary Olinchuk, at in front of this hotel. And a woman who was staying in the hotel said that it appeared that Mary was giving the man directions. But this woman also says that she saw Mary get into the car Mm -hmm. with this man. Did this man stop to ask a child for directions? Yeah, I mean, yeah, supposedly. For directions, directions being in air quotes quotes. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So seven o'clock rolled around. Mary didn't come home for supper. Ruth, her mom, was obviously like, what's happening, right? Called the police. The police searched around this little town. And they found Mary's friend's bicycle, which Mary was using, propped up against the wall of that same hotel. But there was no sign of of Mary. And then, so over the next several days, like, this massive air and ground search took place. There were people on the streets. There were people in the woods. There were people out on the water. There were people in airplanes and helicopters flying overhead. Um, I mean, there were, like, army men with guns, like, in helicopters scouting, like, three, four, five miles around where she disappeared. Sorry, this chair's really creaky. A, A lot of stuff is really, really squeaky in this room. Um, so they were, the army was scouting a gunkwit for abandoned vehicles near wooded areas because their thought was she was taken and dumped in the woods. 
So volunteer firefighters and community members and police officers absolutely just combed the entire like York Agunquit area for um, to see if they could find any clues about where Mary went. And her parents even waited for a ransom call. And they never got one. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's sad. Yeah, right. Imagine just waiting for a ransom call. Yeah, like they know they have money, and they're like, "That's probably why." What happened? And you just gotta wait and mm-hmm. then hope. Oh, but oh. people are sick. Yeah, for sure. So. I want to talk about Peter Olenchuk, who is Mary's father, the, the brigadier general in the army. People around town knew that he was in the army. They knew more or less some of the details of his work. And his work included a, a, a rather secretive military operation called Operation Chase. Ooh. Which was an ocean disposal program where the army would just like load up its expended chemical weapons... And dump them in the ocean. Cute. We love polluting the planet. Cute. 70s. What's up? Yes. For real. Like, what, what were we doing in the 70s? Um, so one day before Mary's disappearance, says DownEast.com, a Kentucky newspaper reported a threat from a student group in Kentucky that said that they would try to kidnap or murder the families of the army men involved in this operation. Is it because they were mad about the pollution? I imagine, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, there's not there's not too much context in the article that I, I'm referencing this from, um, but I can only imagine. I mean, like, this is the 70s, right? The 70s and 80s, college students be angry. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? Justifiably. Yeah. Um, not that I'm justifying, like, a kidnapping, but, like, being mad about corruption anyway um so at a press conference uh in on august 20th of that same year peter said that he was chosen for this like chemical weapons assignment because he was trained in chemical warfare specifically okay and he said that he doubted that his line of work was related to his daughter's abduction and police ended up not finding any evidence that the two ideas were linked together after all. But I still think it's important to note that Peter was more or less like infamous for being involved in the use and production and disposal of chemical weapons. That's fair. I I do feel like the 70s were kind of notorious for... Murders and kidnappings and stuff like that, where like children and adults, there weren't those boundaries that we have now of yeah. stranger danger and stuff like that. So I just, I feel like it, it's very likely that it just could have been a coincidence that his daughter was a victim of one of those crimes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean that definitely is a cultural difference in America between like at, starting in the '90s up until to date, like the crime rates that we see in the United States are really unparalleled to a lot of other developed nations around the world. And that wasn't really the case before the the 90s. 
So a lot of the time in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. I mean, like my mom, like my my grandma would give her, you know, five dollars and say, go to the store. Tell the man that your mom wants alcohol and cigarettes and, you know, get a, a penny candy for yourself and, and come back. Mm-hmm. And my mom would just straight up walk, you know, through town by herself, like 12 years old, to go buy cigarettes from a strange man behind the counter at the corner store. You know what I mean? Like, there was no, there was no idea of, like, of, like, stranger danger like yeah. we have now, you know. Um, so after this interview, Peter Olinchuk did one more phone interview in 1971, where he was, like, super defeated about the whole situation because we'll find out soon they never found Mary. Uh, well, they did find Mary, but they never found who killed her. Mm. Um, and then he straight up, no one's ever, like, spoken to him about this again. Like, he has refused, I believe he's dead now, but his the whole entire rest of his life, he refused to discuss his daughter ever again, publicly. Yeah. Uh, which I understand, you know. Yeah. So, I'm looking right now at... A clipping of a news article that says search ends a decomposed body found in a barn in West Kennebunk, Maine, very Mm. close to where we live and work, has been tentatively identified as that of Mary Olinchuk, missing since August 9th. So on Saturday, the 22nd of August, 1970, policeman George Labarge had been searching all day for Mary, and he was probing an area around the Parson family's farm on Brown Street in West Kennebunk. And he decided, I'm going to peek around the barn and the property and see what I can find, right? So hidden under a pile of hay, he founds the... He finds... He founds... <laughs> he finds the decomposing body of Mary Olinchuk. And how long... After she went missing, was this? So they found the body on August 22nd, and she died on August 9th. So a little under two weeks. Okay. But you have to imagine, she was in a dark, warm place mm-hmm. in the the heat of the summer for two weeks. Yeah. So you can really imagine the state that her Rather body not. was in. Right, yeah. Um... So So, and the barn where she was found, her body was found, was, uh, I mean, if you have the ability to, at home, look up a map of Southern Maine, look up the distance uh, between Agunquit and West Kennebunk, because it's really not that far. far. No, I mean, you could probably do that in 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean... To, to drive it? Oh, easily. Maybe even 20. Like, it really is not that far. It's only, you know, it's several miles. But yeah, it's, it is literally only a few miles from where her body was found, um, but between where her body was found and where she was murdered, supposedly, where she was last seen anyway. Mm-hmm. And the police, right from the beginning, believed, you know, from, the, from this discovery, believed that the killer was familiar with the barn. And... Uh, so, like, several hipsters and, and like, transients and, like, cool kids in town would kind of just hang out at the barn, maybe smoke weed, maybe drink a little bit. Yeah. 
Like that was kind of like the hangout place. Not for you, Dante. The huh? Not you ever. Being a cool kid or <laughs> doing alcohols. Just doing doing illicit activities in someone's barn. In someone's barn. You're right, Julia. I would never. In someone's <laughs> barn. Um, so. I'm sure. I'm sure you never did anything of the sort. Not in a barn. Yeah. No, you were a upstanding youth. Yes, Julia, I was. Thank you. You're welcome. I was not corrupted until my late teens. I used to be a, a good person, Julia. I'll have you know that. You're still a good person, Dante. Thank you. Oh, you're sweet. Um, so the authorities, once I discovered the body, actually transported the body to a hospital in Waterville, Maine, which is straight up like an hour or two away, where Dr. Urban Goodoff, who was a, met like a chief medical examiner, uh, prefer, performed, performed a, a post-mortem. Wow, words are difficult. Performed a post-mortem. Um, let's try that one again. Julian, if you're listening to this, cut this out. <laughs> um, authorities then transported her body from the barn in West Kennebunk to a hospital in Waterville, Maine, which is kind of far away. Probably like an hour or two. Yeah, well, you know, she's already dead, so no rush, really. Yeah, I mean, like, she's already decomposing, so it's probably fine. Um, and where she... Uh, uh, Dr. Irving Goodoff, who was uh, the chief medical examiner, ended up performing her postmortem. And the autopsy revealed that she was strangled to death. Yeah. And she had no other physical injuries on her body. There, trigger warning, were no traces of sexual assault. And without any like evidence of sexual assault, the police did not really have a motive Mm-hmm. For the murder, other than someone just wanted to kill someone. So it's kind of like open book. They don't really know. They I don't mean, have a motive, right? Yeah. I, there are just people out there who, who murder, you know, and I, it's still unknown why they do it. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, just because he didn't directly sexually assault her doesn't necessarily mean that isn't a part of it. Right. Also. Mm-hmm. That's but, a good point. Ugh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. In super. many ways. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate seems like a bit of a light word to use in this case, but yeah, you killed yeah. a child. But also, I mean, I was going to say like, there's some good light. There's a good point to the story there. It's not. She definitely died. Um, but the doctor who was doing her autopsy, Dr. Goodoff, found traces of black hair Mm -hmm. and skin particles under her fingernails, Mm -hmm. which he took to mean that Mary fought back when she was being strangled. No, that makes me more sad. I mean, it is sad, but at least, you know, she was like, I'm not gonna let you kill me though. I mean, she definitely died still, which is really unfortunate and sad. Um, but she put up a fight. Yeah. Okay. You know, good for her. Yeah, right. I mean, it's not good that she was put in a position where she had to do that, but I think that it's good that she stuck up for herself when she was placed in a dangerous situation. Yeah, you know, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so they say that during this time when they were looking for her body, right before she was found, uh, there, this was right during the heat of summer. And so some like the, the Southern Maine, like beaches area, the population during the summer swells from like, you know, less than a hundred thousand to more than half a million in mm-hmm. the summer. And so imagine trying to fit police cars on the tiny, you know, crooked one-way streets of Southern Maine when there are hundreds of thousands of people walking the beaches, walking through town, going to the shops, um, driving on the roads. Like it was, it was very difficult. And they're all on vacation and they don't care. Yeah. (laughs) They're like in their little ego bubble. And no. like date walk. I'm sorry. This is gonna turn into a rant against vacationers. <laughs> Please come here. <laughs> a lot of us work um, work retail and um, hospitality jobs. Yeah. That we need you to come here to have an income. So listen. Please pay sales this tax. This is. I feel like this is my chance to petition for a change of Maine's state motto from vacation land to if you love it so much just move here already just pay income tax here just you know what i mean be a part of the state in a real way and listen maine has a very rapidly decreasing population there are not enough young yes there are not enough young people in maine moving here and there are not enough babies being born here whoops to I, I know literally it's <laughs> like neither of us not helping. <laughs> yeah, neither of us have kids. Um yeah, there are not enough young people moving here and there are not enough babies being born here to outweigh the amount of old people who are dying. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the Maine's population has actually been on a decline for like twenty years. Oh yep. interesting. So move here and pay taxes really, here it's so that great. we can have some roads. If please. you <laughs> like lobster that much. Just move Imagine here. Imagine living here. Yeah. You can get lobster for cheap. Listen, if you know a lobsterman, mm-hmm. that's just cheap. Yeah. If you're a yuppie from Connecticut who came up here just to eat the lobster at a seafood restaurant, guess what? It's $35. Don't like it? Go back to Connecticut. <laughs> if you know the man who catches the lobsters, a quarter. A quarter mm-hmm. will do ya. You know? Yeah. Not really. No. Not even close. <laughs> um, but He's got to feed his family, people. <laughs> He did try to feed his family. Um, so Mary Olin Chucks really quickly. We're wrapping it up here. Um, mm-hmm. but really quickly, I uh, just want to touch on the fact that her murders were very similar to some other murders that happened in New Hampshire. Oh, interesting. About a year earlier. Um, let's touch on a couple really quickly. So on January 29th of 1969. An 11-year-old named Debbie Horn from Allentown, New Hampshire, stayed home sick from school after falling on the ice. Aww. She was complaining of pain. She thought she might have broken something, so she stayed home. And when her mother returned home from work, the back door was open and Debbie was gone. Oh, no. And Debbie's unclothed, decomposing body was found 20 miles away from her home. In August of that year. So oh, like uh, like seven or eight months later yeah. at this point. 
Um, and her, she was found in the trunk of an abandoned car. Oh. Yeah, gross. And then on July 4th of 1969, Luella, interesting name, Luella Blakesley disappeared. And her body was found 29 years later. Oh, my God. In 1998. Wow. 29 years later. And her boyfriend was later convicted in the murder of an 18-year-old girl in Concord. And has long time been a suspect in both Debbie and Luella's murders. Interesting. And then there's also one, another one that they made a little connection with. Um, on November 22nd, 1969, 13-year-old Michelle Wilson from Massachusetts disappeared while riding her bicycle. And in 79, uh, known child serial killer Charles Pierce confessed to her murder and ended up leading the police to her body. So they took a look at all three of these incidents and said, I wonder if there is a connection between these victims and Mary Olinchuk. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, usually when I do a, a true crime story, I like to have a moment of reflection at the end and say, you know, oh, Julie, uh, who do you think did it? Mm-hmm. But in this case, like, who, who can, who, you know what? There's no options. Yeah. There's no leads. There's no, it's amazing that they actually, because you hear about so many stories where a kid goes missing and the police are like, oh, they just ran away. Um, but like you said, they, they had boats go out and they mm-hmm. had people searching like right away, you know, cause it was a rich family, mm-hmm. but yes, rich and white. Um, yeah, I mean, and they still don't have any evidence. Nothing. No leads. That's crazy. The only evidence they have they have is the skin and hair under her Why? nails. Why? I mean, DNA, man. Did, was DNA? Well, a if they still have that evidence, they might be able to test it now. Yeah, I mean, that's a bummer. Yeah. That's a big old bummer. I know. I wish I could have a, a good, like, well-rounded conclusion to the story, but I literally have nothing. Do you know where that barn is? Yes, Julie. Okay. I do know where the barn is. Okay. <laughs> I know exactly where the barn is. It is on Brown Street in West mm-hmm. Kennebunk. Let me Google directions. Just kidding. I mean, I know how to get there. Wait, so is it owned by somebody? Or do people just go there and, like, it's fine? So it is private property. But at some point in the 1970s, people like hippies and like hipster kids and drug addicts and transients Mm -hmm. would just go there to like smoke weed and drink and hang out. Was it because did it have, does that have anything to do with the murder or is that it just like seemed like an opportune place to do that? Because I'm just wondering if people were like, oh, someone was murdered, the, like a body was found here, and that's why it caught people's attention, or? No. So, like, her body was was ditched mm-hmm. in the barn where people were already doing that. Oh, okay. So the police think, well, maybe one of the I transients see. who was living here or one of the, the high school kids who was smoking here was responsible for the murder. Gotcha. Yeah, so her body was dumped in an area where people... Where sketchy people were already going to hang out. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 
Because I know sometimes high school kids get like interested in stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, let's go hang out here because uh, of this thing that happened. Yeah. And I it's, mean... you know, they don't realize that, you know, at that age, it's a little disrespectful and cringy. Yeah. But I definitely did stupid creepy shit when i was in high school because i thought it was edgy and fun who didn't you're right that's when you're allowed to do stupid shit um yeah right (laughs) no consequences baby (laughs) um so before we wrap up this episode i just want to say really quickly i want to do a local business shout out oh that's cute do it in the town of kennybunk which is where her body was ditched there is a cute little bookshop right downtown with a very similar name to our podcast called Mainly Murders. Yeah. And they have... I seen it. True crime and murder mysteries and young adult spooky scary novels lining the bookshelves there. Have you been in there? I have been in there. I and it is are they wonderful. Open? Like, are they pandemic open? I don't know about if they're open during covid um, but when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic mm-hmm. and or economic recession mm-hmm. and you choose uh, listeners choose to come vacation in Maine, check out this store. It's super cute. It's kind of small, but mm. I mean, like it is floor to floor, wall to wall. It is packed with bookshelves and knickknacks and tchotchkes all about murders and Maine. And I feel like those two things, as I imagine most of you do, because you're listening to our podcast. Check them out next time you're in Kennybunk. It doesn't really interest me. Yeah. Maine. Ew. <laughs> gross. Murders. Ugh. Boring. Just kidding. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> can we Can we go right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll go for sure. Um, yeah. So uh, anything else you'd like to add today, Julie? Um, well, I don't. Let me see. Do I have a cute main business thing that I want to throw in there? Oh, I can't. Now I'm on the spot. Elements. It's not murder related, but they have really good coffee and beer and books. That's true. Books that may or may not. Elements, I miss going to you on a Friday or Saturday evening and sitting at the bar and listening to live music. And I really hope that this pandemic ends soon so I can go do that again. Yeah. Bitterford is a small, throwing it back to Julie's story, Bitterford is a really small town. It's only like 20,000 people there. It's tiny, tiny. There's not a lot going on. Tiny. But like the nightlife culture in Bitterford is really strong. You know what? For a town of its size. It's true. And it's sad because right before the pandemic started, I feel like a lot of businesses, cool businesses, were coming in restaurants and things and now i'm just afraid that it's gonna ruin yeah like a lot of them yeah it's sad support your local businesses everybody yes amazon can get fucked absolutely when i say eat the rich i mean jeff bezos and after you eat jeff bezos stop by elements and get a (laughs) a wonderful iced scone wash him down (laughs) with a chocolate chip cookie freshly baked the cia is gonna knock on my door um (laughs) so yeah that's that (laughs) that's what we have for you all today as always thank you very much for tuning in to mainly mayhem and we will see you next time yes thank you bye bye